Good morning. I want you to see a video here. Uh, this kind of is connected to yesterday, to a song I use as part of my message at, at Bob Key's memorial. But I want you to hear it from these young ladies. Wow. Those girls can sing any time for me. My goodness. Well, this has been a tough week. Thursday was a tough day for us. Both Bob Key and Wayne Allen finished their respective journeys Thursday morning, and they have taken their place in that grandstand, that cloud of witnesses. Bob battled glioblastoma. It's the worst possible brain cancer that someone can be diagnosed. It was the cancer that my brother-in-law, Steve Lambert, was diagnosed. So I had a lot of images that returned back when I saw how Bob declined and the times I visited Steve. And like Steve, Bob fought well. He ran his race well, and he finished strong. I remember David Morgan saying to me right back here in front of these double doors when my mother was starting to waste away with Alzheimer's, and it was 
it was starting to really wear to watch her become just a shadow of the person. And he came up to me and he says, Pastor, you need to know something. Be reminded, there's nothing wrong with your mother's spirit. It's just her body. Your mother's spirit is as live and well and active as ever it's been. It's just this body that breaks down. And I've carried that thought. It changes how you look at things. Wayne was a three times a week dialysis patient, diabetic. Had been hospitalized for much of the last several weeks with a wound on his left leg that was indescribably severe. Doctors recommended amputation. And I think he had accepted that that was probably what was going to happen. Anyone that got to see how his leg was thought, well, this is, this is unavoidable. But one surgeon decided instead of doing the amputation, let's give it one more shot. And they started doing work on that wound. It started getting circulation, and it started healing. And as soon as he got out of rehab, he kept telling me, he says, I'm, I'm going to walk back into that church. And he did last Sunday. Yes, he did. Sat right back there on the back row. And to go beyond that, he came Sunday night to Sunday night prayer. And I believe he knew that his time was winding down. And everybody that was associated with that man keeping his legs use the word miracles. I was in there when physical therapist was giving him his workout at the rehab and they were saying this is nothing short of a miracle. Your leg is healing. This is a miracle. Now the Lord didn't answer our prayers the way we wanted him to. But I assure you he answered our prayers. And two people that were besieged by things are no longer besieged by that. They're free, they're well. And on Thursday also, our nation heard the news as it worked its way from the West Coast about the Oregon tragedy that Thursday morning, a shooting rampage on a college, community college campus. Only a few media outlets started talking about what the shooter was doing and who he was targeting. Some even reported that he demanded the religion of the students. That is not exactly correct. It's not correct. There's a big difference. I'm quoting from a CNN online report, okay? Before going into spinal surgery, Anna Bolin told her father and brother, the gunman entered her classroom. She's only 18 years of age, first-year student in that college. A gunman entered her classroom firing. The professor in the classroom was shot point blank. Others were hit, she told her family. Everyone in the classroom dropped to the ground. The gunman, while reloading his handgun, ordered the students to stand up if they were Christians. That's a far different cry than what religion are you. It really is. You think about it. He wasn't just trying to figure out whose religion was who. He was one group. He told those who were Christians to stand up. 
And they stood up according to his orders. And they said that they would stand up. And he said, good, because you're a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. And then he shot and killed them. Now, what do you make of that? It was obviously not about politics. Regrettably, some have tried to make it about politics. It's not about gun control. This was about faith. This, whatever the motive was, this was about faith and faith specifically in Jesus Christ. This was attack on Christians. Now, for us, we should not be so angered about that. We should be resolute in our faith. That these things are happening. These are not the only Christians that's been executed in the world of late. But it shows us that believers in this country are just as willing to face death for the sake of their testimony as anywhere else in the country. And we have almost all doubted that. I wonder if we would be that brave when we would face execution. Well, they were. What is the greatest need in our world today? Our world needs a revelation of Jesus Christ. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ. The world will only get a revelation of Christ as we walk in that revelation ourselves. I'm going to take you to the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. John knew Jesus probably better than any one of the disciples. I doubt if anyone knew Jesus as well as John. John was one of those inner circle of three that included Peter and John's other brother, James. John is always near Jesus, always sitting next to him. In fact, he's referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, why Jesus had three men that he took in some places that he didn't take the other nine, who knows? But it was his choice to have these three men to be in the inner circle of some things that the others never got to be a part of. The transfiguration on the mount is probably the easiest one. And and they were supposed to come down and not say anything about that. How about that? They see Moses and Elijah, and they're not supposed to talk about it. And isn't it interesting that the three men, the three men that Jesus took up there, Peter and the two brothers, James and John, that the first one to be martyred was James. After all of that teaching, after all of that training, you would think that the Lord would just supernaturally protect those three until the very end. But it's almost like he was saying, when they see James brave enough, the inner circle James brave enough to submit himself to martyrdom, it'll inspire the rest of them. You see, the Lord didn't look on their tenure of apostleship. He looked upon their faith. Whether they were going to be faithful in that moment. 
John wrote the fourth and final account of the life of Jesus. He wrote three short letters later to believers, principally warning them about false teaching and encouraging them. And then he wrote this book that you've turned to, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the time John wrote this book, he was an elderly man. Listen to me just for a moment. Let's just say, if Jesus chose a disciple that was 20 years of age, would you consider him choosing someone fairly young? To train to be the leaders of the church. Let's just say John was 20 years of age when Jesus chose him to be an apostle. If he was 20 at that point, when he wrote this, he was crowding 90 years of age. He would have been chosen around A.D. 30, but this was written around 92 to 95. 63 to 65 years after. So you just do the, if he was 20, he would be crowding 90. And yet here he is, he's on this island, and he writes this book. And we know exactly why he's there, because he's the last apostle to die. Therefore, people he discipled and people that he trained were close enough to him that the next generation of people actually got to talk to someone who knew personally one of the apostles. And so they would write down some of the things that's not recorded that John told them about. And we do know that the Roman emperor Domitian exiled John in the 90s. And he was assassinated in 96. And John was released to go back to his home, Ephesus, He might have been close to 95 years of age when he eventually passed away. So this is a late book. This is not only the last book of the Bible, it is is the latest book to be written. I want you to look at verse 1. Follow this with me just for a moment. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Even John is defining this as a book of prophetic material. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. It is meant, friends, for us to have this book. And it's meant for us not just to have this particular book in the Bible. It is meant for us to read it. Why? He says, you'll be blessed, but there's a, what is that blessing? So that you will know what's coming. And you will have a knowledge of Jesus. Watch the progression here. God is going to give the revelation of Jesus Christ eventually to John, 
but he gives it through an angel. God gives the revelation to an angel, and he sends the angel to John, and John is told to just write. And we may think that the revelation of of Jesus Christ is, is a book that tells us about the Antichrist and the tribulation and and all of that and all that's going to happen in Israel. It includes that. But that's not the principal reason why we have this book. The reason, and, and you can't miss this, is that he wants us to have a new revelation of Jesus. I'm just going to ask you a question here. You don't have to raise your hand. Revelation. Have you read it lately? You read it much? According to these first few verses, it's kind of like we should be, right? You'll be blessed if you read it. You say, well, you know, this, this thing gets crazy. There's a beast that comes out of the water, and he's got seven head, ten horns, and ah. How do you figure all that out? Well, there's a lot of metaphors and analogies and all of that in there. And those, time, those things are sometimes hard to figure out. But chapter 1 is not hard to figure out. Chapter 1 lays it out, what this is all about. And I want to encourage you to read it. Why? Because if the time was near on the Isle of Patmos, the time is really near today. If he was given an urgency that time was running out, then... How much more should we sense the urgency of our hour and our time? Now, I'm not going to try to go through the whole book today, and you're probably relieved for that. But I want to jump to verse 9, and I want you to see something here. I'm I'm skipping a few verses there, but I want to get to verse 9, because this is where, you know, John starts getting the revelation of Jesus. John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He makes no mention of that dirty, rotten Roman emperor that put him there. He says, I'm there because I'm on assignment from God. And he says, on the Lord's day, which is a reference to the first day of the week, On the Lord's day, I was in the Holy Spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And this voice said in verse 11, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All of these seven churches was grouped in an area of what is present-day Turkey. Now, just look at that for a moment. John doesn't mention his exile, but he does say this, I am your brother and companion in suffering. He says, I am with you in suffering. We're all suffering in some way in this day and time. I want to tell you, the life expectancy of a church leader in the first century was not good. Stephen didn't get to see the next generation of believers. Neither did James. A lot of them did not. If you was a leader in the church, you were in danger of not making it to see your grandchildren. But he begins to write what he hears. 
He's, he doesn't say anything about what he sees yet, right? He simply says, I'm standing there and I hear a voice behind me blaring like a trumpet. I would think that the, he was talking about the volume. And what that voice said to him while he had his back to the voice was get ready to write down what you're about to see and hear and I want you to send it to seven churches that you're familiar with. Now, I think right here that John got a little bit of a hope here because he's an elderly man. He's exiled on Patmos. And what do you think his hope was? To get off because the Lord had seven churches <laughs> that needed to get this, all right? Maybe he's like, well, I better find a young person to give this to and says, you got to take this in case I don't make it. Well, that didn't happen because John didn't make it back. But when he turns, this is in verse 12, when he turns, everything changes. Now, I love this this video. I love this song. Those girls can sing. But there's something about that video that I didn't like. Anybody want to take a stab at it? It's a nice picture. Holding that little lamb. I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying like, that's not what he looks like. That, is, that might have been him prior to the cross, but that is not him now. He is tender, loving, and kind, but he is dangerous. He is dangerous to the darkness of this world. He is dangerous to the enemy of this world. This enemy does not want to tangle with him. And what John is about to see is a Jesus he had never met. Because he had in his mind the one that appeared to them after he was resurrected. He was not glorified. He was not glorified yet because he said, you can touch me. And he asked them to touch him, and they touched him, and he ate food. At that point, he was not glorified. But when he ascended up into heaven, he was clothed with glory and majesty, and his appearance changed. It changed so much that Paul got just a glimpse of him on the road to Damascus, and it blinded him for three days. He just said, it looked like I was looking into the sun. He could not make anything out, but he heard a voice, and he says, who are you? He couldn't discern what was there. He just saw this brilliant light that made him go blind. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And John turned. I want you to see this in verse 12. This is great stuff. He said, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, and I want you to track with me what he saw. The first thing he notices are seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, 
His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters, a torrent of water, like a waterfall, a noise like rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Isn't that amazing? What a description of Jesus. He sees someone like the Son of Man. Jesus has messengers for seven churches, right? And at the end of this chapter, he explains the mystery of the stars and churches, of the lampstands. He said the lampstands are churches. It's those seven churches, John. The churches I've already named off to you, Jesus is walking in the midst of those seven churches. That's great. You know what's so great about that? Is that five of those churches had enormous problems. But he wasn't walking around the two that didn't have a problem and was looking over there at the five that had problems. He was walking around in the midst of all of them. And he wasn't walking in the midst of them because they all were doing everything right. He was walking in the midst of them because they were his churches. They belonged to him. And whether they were doing right or wrong, he was going to be in the midst of them. And here's something. I'm going to throw something at you. You can take it for whatever it's worth. You go research it. But he said he saw in his right hand seven stars. Right hand, right arm is the arm of power and dominance in the Bible. That's why Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's a place of dominance and power. And he says, I see in his hand seven stars. And those stars are the angels, messengers of the church. That is a powerful image because he's got a message to the church, but who is he giving the message to? He's giving the message to the messenger. That is to communicate with those churches. He says, what, that, that says angel. It, it is angelos, but it's given an English sound. It's not really translated. If you want to translate it, it's messengers. And the angels of heaven, the angels of heaven are sent as what? Ministering spirits to us. Messengers. The, the angels of heaven, the, the spiritual beings that God created to carry out his purpose in heaven. He sends them as messengers. They they always seemed to be involved when he wanted to give a message to people, right? Whether it was Joseph or Mary or Daniel or Abraham, all of those. And here it is, John. He sends an angel to John to tell John all this stuff. And he says, I want to send a message to those seven messengers. Those could be pastors or teachers. I want to give them this revelation. I want to tell you something. When you look at the next verse, you'll see something is different with John, right? In verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I wanted to go over and lay my head on his chest like I used to. 
I felt so warm and fuzzy. I was, I was so comforted that I got to see him like this. Now, what did it say? He fell as a dead man. He fell on the ground. It wasn't, and, then, and, and you know, I have a few things that really bother me, so I'll just tell you, so if you ever say this, you'll know that that bothers me. It says the spirit in us cries, Abba, Father. It means an intimacy with God, but it doesn't mean daddy in the way we say daddy. So don't say that around me. You didn't see John saying, oh, it's daddy. Right? You didn't see him or hear him say anything. He is so blown away, he hits the deck. And if you follow this in the next several chapters, especially when the line of Judah begins to break those seals in that scroll, everything in heaven finds that posture. The four living special angels that, that have this incredible description They don't cease to say, holy, holy. When some of those seals are broke, they hit the deck. They don't even know what forgiveness of sin is. The four and twenty elders, they fall down. They throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. This is not, oh, isn't it wonderful to be in heaven? Let's go over and get our feet in the water and just splash around and just go eat the fruit and all of this. No, we're going to be hitting the deck there. And I want to tell you something. There is something about Christians today that need a new revelation of Jesus because we don't serve a weak Savior. We don't serve a person that's soft and that's fuzzy. We serve a mighty king who is able to save. And says, I'm not preaching against those images. He is a comforter to those who are in need of comfort. He He loves us, but he is a conquering Savior. And John did not express any desire to go over and reenact the Last Supper. He falls on his face because he's blown away by the glory of God. What is John's reaction? He says, this is our Lord. This, let me tell you something. This is the revelation of Jesus that we should have. Strong. Mighty to save. Mighty to deliver. He will conquer evil. He will conquer this world. He will descend from heaven with a shout. The powers of darkness will be forever broken. The Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself are doomed to eternal incarceration. Their prison has already been created. It's called a lake of fire. They've already been sentenced. It's only a matter of time when that sentence is carried out. They know their days are numbered. And if you read this revelation and in the middle of the tribulation, it will tell you that the devil knows the clock is on. And he says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil of all beings knows he is about to meet his doom. Those people 
that stood up and said, I'm a Christian. You know, in some way, the shooter had his theology right, didn't he? Kind of odd that he said, well, you're going to see God in the next second. But what he didn't realize is what he was going to see. They entered into the joy of the Lord. And may their witness, may their witness be used of God in those other students to let them see that we don't serve a weak God. We serve a great God. Would you stand with me? You need a new revelation of Jesus. Really do. We need a new revelation of Jesus. We need that revelation of Jesus. In fact, that's why John got it, is to pass it on to us. That this is who Jesus looks like now. This is who he is now. This is the captain of our salvation. This is the one who backs you up when you witness. This is the one that you pray to. One of the things I heard someone say, and prayer is such a, a great privilege, isn't it? I think it was Ricky Elmore that gave the eulogy for Bob Key. We were talking, and I was telling them about, man, the times that uh, Bob prayed. And just, uh, I was like, man, I, I couldn't even put into words. And he says, you know, he was a person that didn't pray at God. He was praying to God. And it's kind of like sometimes when we talk, we don't even talk to some people, we talk at them. We don't engage them in a real open eye contact, wondering how they feel and what's going on. And he said, Bob wasn't like that with the Lord. He talked to him, not at him. And I want you to have that. I want you to have an intimacy with this Jesus. With this Jesus. It's mighty to save. Don't be casual. There should be nothing casual about our faith. We should be awed by God. It should shake us somehow, His presence. When He descends upon us, and we sing those, that song about it. I could fail a thousand times, but he still loves us. And if you have condemnation in your life, it is not coming from him. Because he said to Nicodemus, I didn't come here to pile in on top of you. I didn't come here to add my voice to every other voice that's attacking you. He said, I didn't come to condemn because you're already under condemnation. He says, I come here to save you. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord... You are great. It's your breath, Lord, in our lungs that becomes our praise. It's the essence of you dwelling in us. And Lord, I pray this morning for a church filled with people who discover a new intimacy with you. And, and friends, this is what I'm just praying for you this morning, is that you will discover a new intimacy with him, that you'll be drawn to him, you will discover his greatness, his mighty power. 
that no matter how weak you may think you are, He is strong. He is strong. And He will help you through every crisis and He will help you through every failure. He will get you through those valleys. And if you want that, you would say, Lord, I want that revelation of you. I want that personal walk with you that awes me, that commends my life. Could you just find a place to pray this morning, whether it's here at where you're standing, to say, oh God, I want to know that Jesus. I want that revelation of him. I want that. Sing that part. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your breath.